tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Here we are. Christmas, like I say, is upon us like like an avalanche. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm sure I mentioned this, but I'm old. I can say things twice. Um, the uh, um, uh, you know when you're a kid, December is the longest month of the year. When you're a grown up, it lasts about three days. So there you go. But that's not bothering us. It, because we're Christians, and for us, Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus. Mm, yeah, right. You know, it is kind of funny that we get sort of, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't complain, but we do kind of get co-opted by the, the craziness of the world. But it's fun. It's fun, especially especially if you got kids. Christmas is, is, is a hoot. Especially when it's over. <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh, let's just pray before I say something I really regret. Yes, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I like Christmas. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let us go to the big book on the coffee table. And our first reading is, this may not seem to make sense to you, but by the time I'm done, I hope it will. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 24. Uh, let us go back to First uh, Samuel 1, 1, because without that, um, uh, you're not going to understand what's going on. This is, uh, Samuel's a big deal in the Bible, and I don't know if you realize that. He is the last of the judges. There are 12 judges in the book of Judges. And what was a judge? It wasn't somebody in a long black robe who sat behind a big desk and banged a gavel. No, a judge was a military leader who governed the, this loose confederation of people by the strength of their character, their wisdom, and their ability to defend uh, the Israelites against the Philistines. Now, that struggle's been going on for a long time. So, but not, not going there. Uh, the... the uh, the judges, God, there was a cycle. God would, the people would sin. They would be oppressed by the Canaanites and the Philistines and that crowd. And then they would, a great judge would, they would repent. A great judge would come up and they defeat their enemy and they would repeat the cycle all over again. Wash, rinse and repeat as it were. And, uh, well, finally, there's the 13th judge. 
There are 12 judges in the book of Judges. And I'm always telling you, 12, when you see it in the Bible, is about government. The 12 judges of Israel. The 12 thrones of judgment uh, in the book of Revelation. The 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 apostles. People who don't understand that 12 has to do with government, they might say, well, Jesus never intended to found a church. Oh, yes, he did. Uh, the, 12, the 12 business is about, about uh, uh, an instrument of government. Uh, so... Well, we get to the 13th judge with Samuel. And in Samuel's life, there is the transition. And this is happening about, oh, a little over a thousand years before Christ. Uh, there's the transition from this loose confederation to a kingdom. And this is the story in 1 Samuel of how we get there. And it's, it's a sad story in a way. Because the people of Israel are going to demand a king. Uh, they want Samuel to appoint a king. This man is a judge, a prophet, all of the above, and uh, they want a king. And uh, Samuel, you know, Samuel is, is a great hero of the faith, etc., etc., but he's got his, uh, his weak points, too. He was hoping his sons would follow him in the judgeship. Uh, he was looking to create his own dynasty. Uh, that's not something that, he, that people bring up quite, quite often, but he was. He, he was a great man of God, but even great men and women of God have, what's the word, lacunae, which means gaps in their, in their vision. Uh, we are all sinners saved by grace. Uh, uh, our Blessed Mother was not a sinner, but she was still saved by grace. You know, uh, God made a special, we believe, a special uh, dispensation for her. But she was saved by grace and redeemed by, by the blood of her son on the cross, uh, we talk about her preventing grace. It's as if God borrowed from Calvary ahead of time to prepare this woman for this important role. But I, that there's nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. Well, not nothing. It's it's in there. So, well, there was a certain man. This is First Samuel one one. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zufite. That means from the clan of Zuf, <laughs> Zuf, from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. There, now you know who he is. He had two wives, one named Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So this was a great shame that, that uh, um, to, be, to be pregnant and not married was a great shame in Israel. Well, to be married and not pregnant was a great shame. So yeah, they had a lot of superstitions about it. Well, uh, each year, this fellow... Uh, um, Elkanah would go up with his wives. Remember, in the Old Testament, this was permitted. It's not permitted now because in the New Covenant, we are brought back to paradise. One man, one woman uh, is the definition Jesus gives us of marriage, um, no matter what you're hearing. Uh, he had two wives, one named Hannah, the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. He would go up uh, from his city to offer sacrifice at the temple in Shiloh doesn't mention the temple, but, you know, the first temple in Jerusalem, it wasn't the first temple. There was a temple in Shiloh where the ark was kept. And there were the two sons of, of Eli, the priest, Eli, Hophni and, and Phinehas. Uh, they ministered as priests of the Lord, and they were robbing the people blind. Um, well, he used to give uh, uh, portions of, the, you know, so you'd, you'd offer sacrifice, you'd get some back, some would stay with the priests. And uh, that's how he did. Some went to the Lord. Uh, it was sort of a sacred 
divine potluck. When the day came for Elkanah to offer sacrifice, he would give portions to his wife Penina, to all his sons and daughters. You see, he didn't eat meat frequently. He ate it maybe when there was a sacrifice. He would give a double portion to Hannah because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival would torment her constantly. Well, she would weep and cry, and, well, she's, verse 9, uh, she's at one of these sacrificial meals, and she went to the temple to pray, and she prayed to the Lord, weeping freely. And she's praying, and the priest Ailey watched her mouth, and she was praying silently. Though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli, thinking she was drunk, said, or how long we make a drunken spectacle? In other words, to pray silently <laughs> at this time was uh, 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 unusual. Uh, you know, and interesting and aside, uh, uh, when people read, I have heard, uh, oh, before maybe, the, well, before the time of St. Ambrose. St. Ambrose is, in a certain sense, the inventor and patron saint of speed reading. Um, before that time, when you read, you would read aloud. You, even if you're reading yourself, and may this follow, Lord of hosts, you look with pity the hardship of your servant, you would read aloud uh, because language was a spoken thing. Well, it's heard that St. Ambrose would read silently to preserve his voice. And people look and say, what's he doing? He's reading. I don't hear anything. It's a different awareness. I remember when I was in a Vietnamese parish, uh, the older Vietnamese thought, if you didn't pray out loud, God was not going to hear you. And they, they prayed out loud. I don't know if that's still true, but that's what I was told by Vietnamese people. And uh, Vietnamese is a lovely language. It can be both sung and spoken. It's a tonal language. You can say, in the name of the Father, Son of the Lord, you can sing, oh, I can't even remember, to hear the Vietnamese say the rosary is lovely, because they, they chant it, and it's really lovely, but it's got to be allowed. Okay, so she's making a drunken spectacle of herself. She's not drunk. I'm just so sorry. Well, go. God, God, God's going to bless you. Well, then we get to our reading today. And we see uh, Hannah had a child, and when he was uh, uh, just a few years old, uh, she brought her son Samuel to the uh, to the to the temple in 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 Eli, or rather in in Shiloh, uh, and he's still a little boy, and. Um, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure the text says exactly how old he was. There was a three-year-old bull in F of Flower. And so I don't know the age at which this little boy was when he was presented to the Lord. But he was, the Lord had given him to her and she gave him to the Lord. Here is an important idea. You know, our, our children are not ours. I have a friend who who is a, a, an author, a Catholic author. I'm not going to mention names, but... A wonderful man. And he said the two most important, this is going to sound awful, but the two most important things that parents say to children is welcome and goodbye. Yeah, I mean, this is this is Bible. These aren't our children. They're God's children whom we are to raise. And that we read the text of Scripture elsewhere, for this a man leaves his mother and father. No, he doesn't. Oh, yes, he does. A man leaves his mother and father, and by implication, a woman leaves her mother and father. 
that the closest relationship is between a man and a woman. That's the closest relationship possible, and it is stronger than the relationship between parent and child. And so often we as parents are not willing to let our children fulfill their destiny because they're ours, and they're supposed to take care of us. On the contrary, a man leaves his mother and father, clings to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So that's hard for us to believe. We want to think we own our children. Well, Hannah understood this was God's child who had been given to her to care for. So uh, we read that in, in the text, and, and I think it's important for us to, to, uh, to understand that. Uh, the last line, it's very hard for us to take. Now I, in turn, give him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be dedicated to the Lord. And that, of course, when you see Lord written capitalized like that in the text, it means YHWH. She left Samuel there. She left her son with with this high priest, Eli, and his sons, Hophni and Pincus, who were, well, not the best of all people. Now let's look at the gospel. It seems to be completely unrelated. Luke 1, 46 to 56. This is the Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What's that got to do with the first reading? Usually they're kind of related. Well, they are because you see Hannah, when she gave, uh, 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 well, let me, let me back up here. I got to back up here. Hold on. Okay. Oh, dear. Where is this going? Hold on. Don't anybody panic. Okay. I want to go to 1 Samuel 1, the end of the, the book. At uh, the end of the chapter, rather, um, Hannah dedicates Samuel. When her husband Elkanah went up with his family, after he was weaned, she took the boy, young as he was. Now, he doesn't say how old he was, but after he was weaned. In other words, that, that meant after he was no longer feeding at the breast. They fed um, at the breast for a longer time. Uh, well, this this is the, the passage we're looking at, really, that that uh, um, uh, it, it, she left Samuel there, but she she recites this wonderful prayer uh, um, uh, that that it, it's called the Song of Hannah. Let me find it here. Where did I put the Song of Hannah? Okay, I've got it here. Let me I'm look where to go. Ah, there, that's where I click. Oh no, I got it. I got it. This is <laughs> chapter two, verse one. You knew I was ready. You knew, I knew you were ready, voice in my head. I knew. Ha! All right. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the, Lo in the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no holy one like the Lord. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly. For the Lord is a God who knows. The bows of the warriors are, breaking, are broken. Uh, she was barren, has borne seven children. She has many had... Uh, has had many sons, pines away. And it's a rather long prayer. But in a sense, the Magnificat is a paraphrase, an abbreviation of the Song of Hannah. There are all sorts of people who say, oh, that means the Blessed Mother didn't say it. It's just a lift from the from the Old Testament. And No, our Blessed Mother was a good Jewish girl who would have known the prayer of Hannah. And she repeats uh, what Hannah said. And, and uh, she uses the prayer of Scripture. And I think that that's very important for us to understand that, that when we pray, we use the vocabulary. What is the Bible? It's the vocabulary of the Holy Spirit. 
So our Blessed Mother, inspired by the Holy Spirit, remembers the prayer of Hannah and summarizes it. So my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Now let's look at the prayer itself. Let me look at time. Oh, we're almost done. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, St. Paul tells us that to make our petitions known to the Lord with thanksgiving. In other words, we say thank you before we say please. I have found in my life a wonderful way to pray is to say is to think of three, when I'm really stressed, oh, this is a disaster, it's never going to work out. The Lord, I let the Lord remind me of three, four, five things for which I am truly grateful. You know, that bill we couldn't pay in the parish, a check came in. Thank you, Lord. That thing on my neck, it turned out to be nothing. Thank Well, I've got a lot of problems. Forget the problems for a minute. Just think of four or five things, three or four things that the Lord has done and they worked out well. And you know what you do when you, what happens when you do that? You realize that God is faithful that God has seen you through these other crises. And then the rest of that text in Philippians, the fourth chapter says, then the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and minds. Uh, that, that, that when we, when we sit and think that God has been faithful in our lives, well, there, so of course there are difficult things. This is a valley of tears. We say that every time we say the rosary, uh, but God is faithful and has sustained us to this point in our difficulties. And that's what the Blessed Mother is doing. She is remembering his mercy to the generations of her ancestors. And this whole thing, she's pregnant. Uh, who knows what's going on? God's going to see her through. And I think that the Blessed Mother is teaching us how to make our petitions to God with thanksgiving. You know, he's come to the help of his servant. He's remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to Abraham. He scattered the proud in their conceit. He's cast down the mighty thrones like Hannah. Our blessed mother's remembering that God has done good things and he will continue to sustain us. So that's just a few thoughts on uh, one. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, maybe I'll make that the word of the day uh, about uh, my my soul proclaims the greatness of God. Yeah, I'll make that the word of the day today. All right, we're going to a break. We will come back with letters. And uh, you can call in at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We shall return. At least I think we shall. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. favorite Christmas songs. It's an it's actually an old Bohemian carol, but uh, it's 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 a German carol. <laughs> we Bohemian sort of in the middle of Germany at many points in history, but um, it's a lovely song. And and come shepherds, all you men and women, come to behold this lovely child. Christ the Lord is born today. Uh, the God of salvation has chosen you. Don't be afraid. Uh, lovely words. At any rate, let us now go to letters. 
Father, would you mind naming that song, that hymn for the audience? Oh, oh, so, Comet, Comet Ihr Hirten. That's K-O-M-M-E-T, then next word, capital I-H-R, and then capital H-A-R-H-I-R-T, and Comet Ihr Hirten. Comet Ihr Hirten. That's, I suppose, English accent. All right, here, Comet Ihr Hirten. Um, uh, Comet Ihr Hirten. Uh, it's, it's, uh. Lovely song. Okay, where 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 am I? Uh, letters. We're going to letters. Oh, and the phones are open at 888-888-9149-149. And I hope all of you have gotten your app by now, your new and improved Christmas app. It's our little Christmas present to you, and you will enjoy it. Go to the App Store. Get the new app. Okay. And also, don't forget to keep listening to Father Rocky's Eucharistic uh, uh, stories, preparing us for the Eucharistic Congress in July. And um, we still have the carols, the Christmas carols up, the carol du jour. Yes, carols of comfort and joy. Today is Go Tell It on the Mountain. Go Tell It on the Mountain, carols du jour. That sounds like a French movie actress, but I digress. All right, let's go to the the, uh, letters here. All right, we got the letters here. Okay. Hi, Father. I live in a small town, and they do not offer Saturday morning Mass, and I haven't been able to find one close by either. How can I fulfill the five first Saturday obligations? First of all, it's not an obligation. It is uh, the, 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 the first Saturday devotion is uh, uh, a, a beautiful custom, but it is not. I think we have to understand it's not an obligation. Uh, let, me, let me pull it up. Um, it was in, in the vision of, of our Blessed Mother, uh, uh, Fatima, the five first Saturday devotion was a request made by Our Lady of Fatima. Blessed Mother promised to assist at the hour of death with the graces necessary for salvation. All who is an act of reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary on the first five Saturdays, uh, uh, five Saturdays of consecutive months, uh, you go, the, the, there are certain customs or, or things you do and you go to confession receive holy communion say five decades of the rosary and keep merry company for 15 minutes meditating on the 15 mysteries of the rosary it's a beautiful custom but it's not an obligation um and remember it's a private revelation it's not part of the uh, the the uh, the deposit of faith uh, deposit of faith is what we have received from from the apostles in the scriptures and in sacred tradition and the, and ended uh, with the voice in my head. Just say, "What is that? Who? Where? What?" Yes, yes. The deposit of faith is sealed, and that we must believe, um, and it is it is unchangeable. However, that is not to say that that these visions and these uh, customs that come to us uh, are not wonderful and efficacious and beautiful. And I encourage you. That's a wonderful thing to spend. Spend time with the Blessed Mother for 15 minutes on a Saturday. I, I would like to spend more time with her. She's really a lovely woman. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I've, I've, as I get older, I grow in my devotion to the Blessed Mother. It's a funny thing uh, because in the seminary I was educated in, devotion to the Blessed Mother was actively discouraged. Um, it, it was considered archaic, but um, I, I digress pretty badly. So that, that has changed, thank God. Uh, and much of uh, uh, the change goes to the credit of one uh, one of the rectors who, well, I will not mention, but he was a great, great man. Oh, <laughs> Italian. <laughs> They're all great. Okay, I'm digressing badly. All right, let's get back to the letters. So it's not an obligation. You know, 
I would think the Blessed Mother, who is very loving and tolerant, would allow you to substitute a Saturday evening Mass. A lot of places, you know, we don't have the priests we used to have. And if there's a Saturday evening Mass, people will not have a Saturday morning Mass. So I would suggest you substitute that Saturday morning Mass or substitute the Mass that is closest. Uh, and, and the Blessed Mother is certainly no legalist, so you don't have to be one either. All right, moving along here. Um, all right. This is an anonymous Catholic wife and mother. I wonder how many women would still want to be ordained to the diaconate when they learn that deacon means servant or table waiter. Let's say it like it is. A diaconate is a waitress. Oh, that's terrible. You know, you got to understand that if you're a real, true feminist, the idea of ordaining women to the diaconate is insulting because that would mean that the sacrament of holy orders uh, in its fullness, even were we to ordain women to a, a, a sacrament, you know, what they're talking about is there were women in the early church who were called deacons. There's no doubt about that. But they were never apparently ordained liturgically and never served in the liturgy. Their main job was to serve people in the church uh, who would be considered off limits to a deacon. In other words, uh, women and children. Um, I don't need to go into that, but we have learned in the past ages that 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 people often get into un, 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 unholy relationships with those whom they serve. Therefore, uh, to minimize the possibility of scandal, women and, and children were served by deaconesses in certain situations. Uh, but there was never, to the best of anyone's knowledge, there was never an ordination or a participation in the liturgy. Well, that's just insulting. The part that would really be insulting to today's feminists is that, oh, you'll ordain us deacons, but you won't ordain us priests and bishops and popes and all that stuff. You know, that, that uh, for people who are who look at these things as rights and not privileges, there is never enough. And we refuse to learn from history that um, that these are not these are not offices of power, at least they shouldn't be. They're relationships. You know, the question isn't can a woman woman be a priest, but can a woman be father? Uh, a man cannot be mother, and a woman cannot be father. At least that's what I think. Uh, you can give it the college try, but I've seen that con constantly. That that that. Um, uh, if if there is the tragedy of death or divorce, that a man can maintain a household, but there's something, maybe I'm just a chauvinist about this, but there is something about a woman who creates a home. Uh, um, it, it's a it's an interesting thing. Uh, what's the the old rhyme? Oh, uh, a daughter's a daughter the rest of your wife. A son is your son until he has a wife. And uh, that's kind of a general thing that that uh, you know, women women are the pivots of of the life of the home. Uh, at least that's the traditional thing. So, uh, yeah, that's a good point. That uh, so you want to be ordained a waitress, and I've known a lot of men who don't seem to understand that that uh, deacon means waiter. They think that they're important. And, well, they are important because they become servants. All right, just just some thoughts on that. All right, let's see. What time? Have I got more time to stick my foot in my mouth here? 
Oh, we got plenty of lines open, 888-914-9149. This is an interesting, uh, I'm not going to, well, I'll mention this is Norma. Um, I've returned to my faith after a long time away. I stumbled across relevant radio station and not stopped listening. Made a decision to return, so I began by going to Mass on Sundays. Uh, then I included weekday Mass. Then I added an hour of adoration, praying the rosary, going to confession, praying the chaplet at 3 p.m. with Drew on relevant radio. Well, she really has gone hook, line, and sinker. I have the sacraments of baptism, first communion confirmation, except we did not marry in the Catholic Church. We were married in the Assembly of God. Could you provide info in the Catholic Catechism? Well, it wouldn't be the Catholic Catechism. It would be the the Code of Canon Law, uh, 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 where I can find the answer to the question whether I am uh, allowed to return to receiving the Holy Eucharist. I hope my message makes sense. Of course it does, Norma. But what I need to say about this is talk to your parish priest. What we talk, call these are validations. You know, the, the, the Catholic Church approaches marriage with the prejudice that this is probably a valid marriage. Now, a Catholic, a person who's baptized Catholic, is obliged to marry in the Catholic form because we of the what we believe about the covenantal uh, nature of marriage, that it's a covenant between two people and God, and uh, it must be witnessed by the church. That's what we believe. Now, uh, what we do is have a validation, and... A lot of people who are not Catholic, when they hear that they got to get married in the Catholic Church or it's not real, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that, that this relationship needs to be witnessed, not blessed, but witnessed and assented to by the church's representative, be it the priest or the deacon, and in certain circumstances it can even be witnessed by lay people, but that's very exceptional. Uh, like if you're on a desert island and there was no clergy available. Uh, uh, so just forget that part of it. But it, it must be witnessed, not not blessed. This is not, we don't bless marriages. We witness them. Uh, that's an important distinction, especially in the current moment. So the the there's our blessings but what the, what the priest or the deacon is to do is witness it in the name of the church and to assent to that relationship uh of of man and woman now moving along here norma talk to your parish priest and talk to your your spouse saying no 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 the, the church is not saying that we're not really married what they're doing is witnessing this and assenting to the reality of it um, that's what we're doing. Um, and it's called a validation. It isn't getting married again. And you can do that in the rectory with two witnesses and a priest. You know, what would have to happen first is, uh, they call it a declaration of, you know, if people were married to other people, there might be declarations of nullity. The Catholic church has a great respect for the relationship of man and woman in marriage. And therefore, we don't just, it's not Las Vegas, you just don't knock on the rectory door and get married. No, there's there's all sorts of, uh, you know, paperwork. But it's worth doing. It's worth doing. It, 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 it gives you a moment to think about your relationship. So, Norma, I would urge you to talk to your parish priest and say, I would like to have my marriage to my husband validated in church so that I can return to the Eucharist. Well, why can't you receive communion if you're not, if you're not, uh, uh, Mary in church. Nemo dat, quod non habit, as we used to say in ancient Rome. No one gives what he hasn't got. 
Communion is the wedding supper. Read Dr. Scott Hahn's book, uh, the, the sub, the lamb, is it the lamb supper, or the supper of the lamb? I think it's the lamb supper. Uh, um, it's a, it's the best book on the book of Apocalypse since Apocalypse was written, but it really is a commentary on the nature of mass that it's, it's the celebration of the marriage of Christ in his church. And if you are not married in a marriage that is clearly valid, uh, then this is not something you can give. You see, you don't go to Mass to get something. I say this all the time. You go to Mass to give something. I didn't get the wine, Father. Well, there's no wine there anyway. It's the blood of Christ, and who cares? You got it in the 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 in the, in the, uh, uh, in the communion wafer consecrated. Um, this idea, I didn't get. How come I can't get communion? No, you go to Mass to offer yourself to the Lord. He gives you his body, blood, soul, and divinity, and you give him your body, blood, soul, and humanity. And unless it's yours to give, you can't enter into that intimate union with Christ. That's why you can't go to communion if you're in, a, in an intimate relationship that is not a holy relationship, because it's dishonest. Do you understand what I mean? You can't enter into the the marriage of Christ and his church unless you are in a marriage that's holy or in the state of uh, of of chaste celibacy uh, you can't give what you ain't got so you're there to give yourself to the Lord and to give your spouse and your children to the Lord and if it isn't a whole and entire gift you can't give it I don't know if that makes sense to you, but Norma, I urge you to talk to your parish priest. I'm so delighted that you are entering into a full relationship with the Lord. And um, I always say that uh, the best the best Catholics uh, are good evangelical converts are the best the best Catholics. And uh, I, I I don't know if your husband is coming along with you. I pray that he is. Uh, we could use him. All right, let's go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And uh, we'll take phone calls at 888-914-9149. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Are, are we allowed to say that legally on the air? I joke, of course. I'll Merry Christmas. I will check with the FCC. Yes. Yes, that's, yes, that's, these are strange times. I get so chagrined whenever anybody says happy holiday. And young people think that's the appropriate greeting, I think. They've only heard happy holidays. But Merry Christmas. Say Merry Christmas to me. When somebody in a store wishes you Merry Christmas, say happy, or uh, happy holidays. Say Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Go ahead. Live dangerously. Okay. Let's go to our word of the day. And again, I'm being picky. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. 
My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Well, this is fun. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The verb is to jump up and down with joy. My spirit jumps up and down with joy in God, my Savior. I mean, that's what the, I think the word is a galiasti. It's, it's, it's an exciting word. It needs to, let me, let me pull it up here just to be on the safe side. It's, it's, it's just, Oh, jumping up and down. That's what uh, John the Baptist did in the virgin's womb, we said the other day. Of course, I'm trying to talk quickly while I press buttons. All right. Yes, this is it. This I got it. I got it. I got it. It's a race to the finish here. Yes, it's Egalia, Egaliasen. Uh, I think, is that the right? Egaliasen? Egaliasen. They put the accent on that. Ah, but it means to jump up and down with joy. It, it's from the word, the, the, the root is, uh, agan, which means too much. And halomai, which means jump up and down. I'm jumping up and down too much with joy. Well, that's kind of fun. But the thing that always, um, uh, it makes me nuts. In this translation, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. That's not what the text says. It's my soul magnifies the Lord. <laughs> In the perfectly cromulent word from a TV show that I won't mention because it's not appropriate for younger or more sensitive viewers, uh, my soul embiggens the greatness of the Lord. Embiggen, perfectly cromulent word. <laughs> so, Catholics rock! Uh, Amen. Okay, thank you, Bart. The uh, at least Bart listens. So my my soul magnifies that. That means it means it makes large, it makes great. And I heard it put this way: you got a magnifying glass in your mind. And the the soul, the psyche, psyche is the word, and that's that's the the seat of the will and affections, and and it's something with which we are in touch. Spirit is the deepest part of the person. It's really the person in the act of living. I suspect we are spirits who are incarnate in mortal bodies and ensouled in living uh, in immortal souls. We have an immortal faculty, uh, the soul. So this spiritual being that we are manifests itself in soul and in body. That's that's as close as I can come up. I, I think that's what the scriptures are telling us. Take it. Where's the salt shaker? Take it with a big grain of salt. All right, but this this faculty, thank you, that I have uh, awareness of my psyche, and that's the word you psyche, p s y c h e. It magnifies the Lord. In other words, I got this magnifying glass in my mind. I can magnify the problem. Oh dear, it's never going to work out. Or I can do what the Blessed Mother does in this song. It worked out throughout our entire history. This is going to be great. Great. This is a disaster. No, it's not. This is a miracle. So uh, you can concentrate on the problem. You can you can magnify the problem or you can magnify the Lord. You have control over your magnifying glass. Sometimes it's a little hard to exercise it, but try it. And read that uh, that text in Philippians, the fourth chapter. Make your, make your petitions known to God with thanksgiving. Then the peace of Christ will guard your heart and mind. All right, let's go to phone calls. Why don't you ask me a little easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. Julie, ask me a tiny question. Yes, Merry Christmas, Father. Just Merry start. Christmas, yes. <laughs> okay, Father, um, early on you were talking about parents and children. The parents, yes. uh, the children, parents, we have to let the children fulfill their destiny, yes. of course, you know, definitely. Yes. And that we're not supposed to expect that they have to take care of us. I wanted oh, to clarify I that. I didn't because say that. You know 
Well, they, we, they have a duty. Yes. No, no, no. Well, this is good. I'm glad you called. I'm glad you called. This is a good reminder because we have the uh, we have the obligation to let our children go. Our children have the obligation to to honor us, and that means, if need be, to take care of us. You know that 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 this is very important. Saint Paul says this is the only commandment that comes with a with a with a with a with a promise. Honor your father and your mother that it might go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And this commandment is double edged because if you do not honor your parents, you're disrespecting that which is inside of you and you're never going to do well. The secret to material and spiritual prosperity is to honor your parents. And that would means take care of them if they need. Scripture says that elsewhere. But on the other hand, that puts a duty on parents to live honorable lives that their children might honor them. So it's a double commandment. So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, uh, Julie, that, that, that children, you know, parents must let their children go. Children must never let their parents go. It sounds contradictory, but it's it's what the Bible says. Does that help? Oh, definitely, Father, because they called me all the time. Mother, can you take care of the kids? Mother, can you do that? Mother, and I said, oh, my God. <laughs> and then yes, I yes. need them, they're going to let me go or something like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. It doesn't no, sound no, like no, your no. kids or your grandkids will. So, yes, say, you let me go. I'll cut off the supply of cookies. All right. God bless, Julian. I was honored that you listened. Thanks for that reminder. That was good. Mar, oh, no, no, no. Shannon. Shannon from Monument, Colorado. What can I do for you, Shannon? Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Um, actually, I was just asking uh, the same question almost, but from the perspective of um, a a fiance. Um, we are going yes. to move into um, the house of my father-in-law when we're married. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Partially because we want to take care of him. Um, but yes. Yeah. I, I could ask a different question actually. Um, and that's how do we, how do we like make sure that we're raising our children uh, that they don't belong to us. They belong to God. How can, how can I start that off? Family prayer. When that kid is three months old, when that kid is one week old, or those kids are one week old, family prayer. If you, if you, if you, that old cliche, family prays together, stays together, it is true. Uh, if, if they, uh, you know, scripture's clear, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. That family prayer, you know, that, that if you gather for prayer every night together as a family, every night, this will be worked into their consciousness. I've seen it happen repeatedly, and kids see, will seem to drift off, but ultimately they know that there's a resource in the love of God for them. That's what you do. Does that help, Shannon? What are, yeah, what are some practical ways to make sure that every night uh, we do that? Is it just setting aside that time? Sure, and it doesn't have to be two hours. <laughs> you know, 15 minutes after the dinner table it could be. You know, ending ending. My father, and we just, we hated it. We just didn't like it at all. My father, especially during Advent and Lent, would want to end our meal with a Bible reading. Oh, gosh, do we have to, Papa? I want to go watch television. Um, uh, uh, well, guess what? <laughs> I'm an old man, and I'm still working on the Bible. It worked. So, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, you find a niche, but it's got to be very regular. The kids expect, in fact, is, uh, 
you might hear him say, if there's something comes up, you've got company, you can't do this. Are we going to pray tonight? We'll pray later. <laughs> you know, they, they, they'll want it. it. It just is a time that, that you can snuggle up as a family. Do it on the sofa and have the kids sit on your lap, that kind of thing. Make it a time of real, of real family coming together. It's a beautiful custom. But you're in an opportunity. You're starting out your life as a married couple. You're, you have the opportunity to, to, to do it well and to, to do it consistently from the beginning. God bless, Shannon, and I will keep you and your beloved in my prayers as well as your father-in-law-to-be. All right? God bless you. Thanks yeah, for listening. Thank you so much. God bless you, too. You're welcome. And have a Merry Christmas. Mark, Mark from Stratford, Connecticut, what can I do for you? Yes, Father. Good afternoon. God bless you and everybody at Relevant Radio for what you do. Um, I have a question. I'm not sure if you're, if you're familiar with America Needs Fatima. It's a yeah. rosary organization. Sure. Yes. Uh, well, I, I know the name the reason, and I know the I know their work a little, but go on. Yeah. The reason I'm asking is that they're similar to the Blue Army, which does more with the yeah. churches. I, I, I was approached by America Needs Fatima. And they, they mm-hmm. have a program where they're going around with a, 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 a replica of Our Lady at Fatima. And you get mm-hmm. a facilitator comes, shows the group, you know, a 20-minute video about the miracle of Fatima. Uh, they, they lead us in the rosary. And then you have veneration for the rest of your two-hour slot. And I was beginning to make arrangements to do it with some of our Bible study and rosary groups. But then I found out that there's a, there's a little bit of a riff with the church because oh. apparently— the, this organization, the Fatima organization, was founded by another organization that was set up by a, a, a Ph.D. in Brazil um, with kind of a cultish type. He, he said he had a prophetic ability to see into the eyes of a young man in his face or a picture, and he had a Tao, which meant he was supposed to be a, a warrior monk for the Virgin Mary. And, he, and the families were told and the, and the child was told if they didn't do that, then th- there was grave, grave, you know, things that were going to happen to them for ignoring the Blessed Mother. And it's, hmm. it's, it looks like this organization, supposedly, the Fatima organization gives all of their free will givings from this thing that they're trying to set up with me goes to that Brazilian organization. And I, I that, tried you know, to I, 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 I don't I don't know about that. I know that uh it's uh involved with a group called Tradition Family and Property uh, uh which was founded by uh, a, a Brazilian fellow uh, a while ago but um other than that uh I don't know anything about it but uh, um you know if I I'll I wish I could uh speak more authoritatively about it but I've never heard any bad things about it but i'll i'll keep the uh, the uh, i'll keep my ears to the ground um uh you know uh the the, the, the it's a pretty conservative organization but you know as i say i wish i knew more about it. i've i've never personally heard any bad fruit from it but uh if you have hesitations about it i would certainly investigate it very thoroughly before you got involved with it you know that that uh you know that that uh, to jump into something Father. when you have doubts, right. then I would certainly investigate it. So I'll I'll keep I'll keep trying to find out and and maybe you know I'll, I'll see what I can come up with. But well, thanks for for listening, and I wish I had more definitive yes. answers for you. But no you know the Reverend Know It All has these gaps. 
Yes, go I'm on. I'm an ambassador here in Stratford for the station, so I really appreciate what oh, you good. do. Oh, good. Good. Well, thank you, and we appreciate what you do. Ambassador yeah, away. God bless you. Ambassador Merry, Mark. All right. Merry Christmas. All right. God Merry bless. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's go to Frank from Philadelphia. Frank. Father Simon. Yes, what can I do for you? Father Simon, I am a gambler. So here I go. Oh. For you, Patrick, okay. and Patrick's girlfriend, Merry, Merry Christmas and a Happy New You. Okay, Happy New You and a Merry Christmas, <laughs> well, everyone. Hey. There you go. Well, Happy New You. That's uh, His wonders are new every morning. Well, <laughs> Happy Merry Christmas to you, too, and a new you. God bless. Elaine from Oregon City, Oregon. What can you? What can I do for you? Uh, hello and Merry Christmas. Um, yes, Merry Christmas. In in the Gospels, the angel says that the, Mary will conceive a son and name him Jesus. And in Isaiah, he says he will the virgin shall conceive a yes. son and shall call yes. him Emmanuel. So can yes. you talk about the? I yeah. can. Uh, and if we just got a few a few seconds left, I talked about that yesterday, so you might want to go to the podcast of yesterday. But Jesus was just about the most common name there was. And it really was, Jesus was really called Josh. With the name of Josh, every knee must bend. If he, they called him Emmanuel, well, that would have been, yes, yeah, see, he's divine. He has the prophetic name. No, they named him the most common name as a sign that God is with us. Just another fella, just another construction worker. So the name Jesus being so common indicated that he was Emmanuel, God with us. So uh, a little more detail on that in yesterday's uh, podcast. You can listen to it. I think it's yesterday's. But don't do it now. Stay tuned because Drew's coming up and he's good.